0: Today's reading is from Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 23. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers, and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So,
1: we are beginning a series in the book of Judges, and I want to begin at the end. The very last book in the book, or the very last book, the very last verse in the last chapter in the book of Judges. The book ends this way. Now this this verse, this statement is repeated Uh, three or four times throughout the book, but it ends this way, and it it goes like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, we're beginning this series in the book of Judges. The title of the series is a play on the title and then that, that last verse... And the title is Judges in Our Own Eyes. Judges in Our Own Eyes. There was no king. There was no king. And what you had was a group of people that basically determined what was right and wrong in their own eyes. And their nation, their families, and their individual lives looked that way. Looked that way. So... That's what this series is about. I want to I want to go back to when I was 1 year old. 1968. The first week of June, the song Mrs. Robinson was number 1 on the pop charts for 3 weeks in a row. Now, this song Mrs. Robinson was the title song of a soundtrack of a movie that came out that same year starring a brand new upcoming star named Dustin Hoffman. And the movie was called The Graduate. So this is the the title track of the soundtrack of the movie, The Graduate. And I won't sing it for you, but I will read to you the very last verse of the song. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Woo, woo, woo. I left that part out. What's that you say, Mrs. Robinson? Jolton Joe has left and gone away. Hey, 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 hey. And that's, that's how the song ends. Now, it's funny, I watched a documentary years later when I was an adult, uh, probably about 10 years ago, and they were interviewing Paul Simon, and I think the interview took place in the early 80s, so it was a couple decades after he'd written this song, and he said it's funny because Joe DiMaggio was upset at that line. By the way, Joe DiMaggio used to play for the New York Yankees and retired in the late 40s. And he's a Hall of Famer, legendary player. So, Joe DiMaggio was upset with this and and Paul Simon's like he was he said yeah, Joe was upset. He's like, I, I didn't go anywhere. I'm here selling Mr. Coffee, you know. That's <laughs> If those of you are old enough, those of you who laughed, you really dated yourself. The the generation Zs, the millennials like, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't even know who Joe DiMaggio is. So, but Paul Simon said, DiMaggio didn't understand that he was a metaphor. He was a metaphor for a simpler time in America's history. See, 1968, we were in the middle of Vietnam War. Things were in chaos, the sexual revolution. It was just, it was a hard time. And the song is about the nation's loss of innocence. That's, That's what the song's about. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Where, where have the days gone when we knew right was right and, and wrong was wrong? When, when you know, it, it, it seemed like America was stable and we weren't at each other's throats. Okay? So if we lost our innocence, when I was one in 1968, we've lost our collective minds In the year 2023. Does anybody want to dispute this? I mean, we're we're so far beyond Joe DiMaggio selling Mr. Coffee. We are are in the stratus. We're gone. As to quote Francis Schaeffer, we have our feet firmly planted in midair. That's where we are. That's where we are. So... This series, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eye. In 1400 BC, the parallels of what's going on in that culture are striking to 2023 AD. I mean, yes, things are different. We don't live in, in Palestine. Uh, we, we live in a democratic public, republic for now. Okay, and but we don't have we don't have a king either, but, but, but what I'm getting at here is there are some parallels we need to understand. We need to understand three things that we're going to see that we're going to see as we go through this book. Actually, two of them formally, one of them informally. Two of them formally, we're going to see this repeated every single message, and and the two things that we're going to see every single message is our problem, their problem, 1400 BC is our problem today. It's the same, same issue. And that's idolatry, which is not understood. It's not, it's not understood by our generation. And they, they were commanded not to engage in it, but they didn't understand it and they engaged in it, which is pretty much the same thing that's going on today. So the problem was the same. And secondly, the solutions, the solutions that they looked to weren't really solutions. And, and I see this in the body of Christ, I see it in our culture today, we can identify the pain points. We can identify what's wrong with our culture, right? We see that. And, 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 and Christians are famous for saying, we need this, we need that, we need this. And the solutions the solutions tend to be non-solutions. Temporary fixes at best. So you're going to see that in the book of Judges, and we're going to make some practical Uh, connections in terms of how you see that that same issue here today and then we're going to look at the solution which isn't technically addressed in the book of judges formally explicitly but it's hinted at and pointed towards if the problem is in those days there was no king in israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes then that seems to suggest the solution is a king but if you've read the Old Testament, you know that they got a king, Saul, and they got another king, David, and they got another king, Solomon, and they got another king, Rehoboam. Only a few of them were worth anything, and even the ones that were good didn't fix anything. So the one true king is our only hope. And so that's, that's what we're going to look at. Those are the three points we're going to take a look at this morning as we are looking at Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, and those will be repeating themes that go throughout the book. So please open up your Bibles to the second chapter in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, right after Joshua. Let's pray, and we'll get to it. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts. And, And Lord, would you show us that our hope is only found in Jesus Christ. Lord, it is, it is just a reality that we live in troubled times and things seem weirder today than they were last week. And uh, Lord, everybody does do what is right in their own eyes and it's almost a state of anarchy. And so Father, we come to you and we ask that first of all, you would deal with us as individuals, um, that you would show us that the problem is not out there, the problem is in here within our own hearts. And Lord, would you show us how Christ is our only solution? And would you help me to preach and teach in a way that Jesus is worshipped and and he is lifted up. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, let's get to it. So the problem is idolatry. So we're jumping ahead. We're skipping over chapter one. Let me give you a brief overview. Chapter one is uh, Moses has died. Joshua has taken his people, God's people, into Canaan and they have possessed the land and they have received their inheritance. So that's how the book of Joshua ends. Now, uh, the first chapter kind of recaps what's happened in Joshua and makes this little observation that each of the 12 tribes, they received their inheritance, but they didn't fully obey the Lord. They didn't oh, fully obey the Lord. They, they, they drove out the nations sort of-ish. They, they, they drove them out just enough to take possession of their cities, but they, 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 didn't, they didn't drive them out. They, put, they subjected them to forced labor. So, so we have this little compromise in chapter 1. So we pick it up in Judges chapter 2, 6 and 7. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So it starts out on a good note, it starts out as long as Joshua is there and all the, the elders of Joshua's time, Israel is worshiping the one true God. Now they didn't drive out all the people, but so far so good. They didn't do what God told them to do all the way, but they're at least just worshiping God and no one else. So that's good. And that's Joshua. Now, we move on. And all that generation also were gathered to the Father. So Joshua dies, and then all of those individuals die. And then we have here in verse 10, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done in Israel. That does not mean that they do not know about God. That does not mean that they are unaware that God delivered all of the peop- the, uh, the nation, that he d- took them out of Egypt and, and, and moved them into Canaan. They're aware of all those things historically, but they don't know God personally. Okay? There, this is a second generation. This is a generation after Joshua. They did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Verse 11. And half of verse twelve, and all the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the baals. That's that's a Canaanite god. So that gives us a clue about what the problem is. They 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 don't know the Lord and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the baals. They abandoned the Lord. They abandoned the Lord God the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt and in the bold and italicized section, take a look, this is, this is highlighted for a reason. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. Now, we're going to learn a little bit more about the nature and the identity of those gods in, in future sermons. But the issue here, the issue here is idolatry. The issue here is idolatry. So let's just stop here and pause. When when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, took them to Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. There shall be... You shall worship the Lord and the Lord God alone, and you shall have no other gods beside me. Now that word beside, it doesn't necessarily mean to the right or to the left. It means in the vicinity of. You shall have no other gods to the right, left, in front, behind, above, or below. I don't want them around. I'm it. There's only one God, and I'm it. You will worship me, and you will worship me alone. He furthermore, furthermore goes on to say, and I don't want you to fashion any graven image, any cast image. Of, of anything as an, as an aid to worship. Whether, and of course, they, they botch that within a week with the golden calf, but the, don't worship anything other than me. Now, worship, what is worship? It's important to understand that. Worship is the ascribing of worth to something. So whatever you ascribe as ultimately um, uh, has the most worth, the worth-ship, the old English word, worth-ship. You ascribe worth to something. Whatever has the ultimate value for you is what you worship by default. So I, I know that none of you are like, oh, this is so irrelevant. Nobody has graven images. Really? What statue is outside of Wall Street? A bull. A bull. What does that symbolize? Strength. Power. We are a nation of full-blown idolaters. Who happen to worship Jesus every Sunday? Don't kid yourself if you think we've moved beyond the question of idolatry. No, you don't have an ashtoreth pole in your backyard. I hope. Some of you might. I don't know. You probably don't have an altar to Baal. Okay, but whatever you ascribe value to, whatever's the highest value in your life, that's the object or the subject of your worship. That's what's going on here. Now, next week we're going to see how they got to that place where they're worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth and all their other gods. But but understand, understand this is very very common, very very common. That's that's what worship is. And idolatry is, is giving yourself over to those things. This is from Becky Pippert's book, Out of the Salt Shaker. Whatever controls us is really our God. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people or he or she wants to pray, or wants praise or wants to please. And we don't control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. Some of you, the Lord of your life is Jesus. Sometimes. But there are other times Jesus technically isn't driving you, isn't moving you. He moved you to come here to church this morning, maybe. Or maybe you came because you just wanted your wife off of your back. Or you just wanted mom and dad to just leave you alone. Or maybe you're here because you're trying to impress someone. You see, see what moves you? What drives you? What causes you to make the decisions that you make? Good and bad. That's ultimately what we worship. What we worship. And if you're honest, you have to say, Jesus is not always the thing that drives me or the person who drives me or controls me. Sometimes it's other things. Jesus never leads us to sin, but do we sin? Yes, then why do we sin? Because at that moment of sin, we are violating the first commandment. We have another God besides Jesus and we are ascribing ultimate worth to whatever that is. If that were not the case, there would be no sin. You wouldn't fail. I wouldn't fail. So it's an issue for them. It's an issue for us. It looks different. But it's the same root issue. The same... Rude issue. So what happens? Let's keep reading. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had Warned, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. Okay, let's just camp out. Look at verse uh, 15. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned. This should be a surprise to none of them. Do you remember last week's sermon? Josh preached from Joshua. He preached and, and Joshua gave this command. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you find it distasteful, if you find it unpleasant to serve God and you choose to worship Baal, then you just do that. But understand the moment you do, the moment you do, God's hand will be against you. And so what did they do? Oh, we will never, ever, ever do that. We swear upon that rock as a witness against us. Joshua's like, I'm telling you, the minute you turn from God and you begin to worship other gods, he will not forgive if you forsake him and he will be against you. As well he should be, doggone it. Let's go. And in all fairness, the generation that actually was making those those pledges, they did keep that promise. Their children did not. And by the way, this isn't a new thing. It's not just like Joshua said that in Joshua and at the end of, it, end of the book of Joshua. This is also what Moses said before Joshua took them across the of, J- chapter twenty eight of Deuteronomy. Moses, God said and. To Moses, and Moses trans- translated this listen, there will be blessings if you worship the Lord, there will be curses if you turn from the Lord. And among the curses is, I will give you over to your enemies if you turn from me. So this isn't like, this shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. They were forewarned. It's like, if you do this, these are the consequences. And so now they did this, and now they're experiencing the consequences. They're experiencing the consequences. That's, that's, the way, that's the way it works. Okay, so they were given over to their enemies. That, that turn of a phrase, they were given over to their plunderers. This is what happens when people turn away from God. In Romans chapter 1, if you're a note taker, you can write down Romans 1, 18 through 32, and you'll see Paul's version of the book of, of Judges he basically highlights that in in the second half of Romans chapter one. He says, here's how it works. People suppress the truth because of their wickedness. They know the truth about God, but they choose to worship that which is not God. And so God gives people over to their sin. There's that phrase, that terminology. There's a giving over. There's a giving over. Now, Paul says it this way. He says, God gives them over to their sin when they do not worship him. And it says that their thinking becomes futile. Their thinking becomes futile. And by the end, by the end of the chapter, he says that they they call what is wrong right and what is right wrong and those who do good evil and those who do evil good. Does anybody see that in our culture? We, and I mean we, I don't mean they. There is no they. We as a culture have been given over to the very things we worship. Here's the nature of idolatry. It always promises more than it will deliver. And it always takes more than you think it will. Everyone sacrifices to what they worship, and there are no exceptions. What do you worship? Money? You will sacrifice to that God. Jesus says you can't worship both God and money. For you'll love the one and hate the other. You will give your life to that which you find the most value in. And what you find the most value in will ask something from you. And idols will ask everything of you. And here's the thing. You give them everything and what do they deliver? Nothing. God gives Israel over to their enemies Because their enemies are worshiping the same gods they are worshiping. They become enslaved. They become uh, beholden to, to the very gods they worship, which are no gods at all, but demons. This is the problem. This is the problem. So, God's merciful. God's merciful. They were in terrible distress. It says in verse 15, then the Lord raises up judges who save them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Okay, now, who do the judges save the Israelites from? What's the text say? It's not a trick question. It just what's the, what's the word say? Who are they delivered from? Those who plundered them. Who are they not delivered from? The idols, they continue to worship. They haven't stopped worshiping idols. Israel in 1400 BC and the church in America in 2023 thinks the problem is the Philistines. I don't mean to be... No, I I was going to say something stupid. I was going to say, I don't mean to be blunt. No, I mean to be blunt. The problem is not those people... The problem is that God's people worship those people's gods and are not even aware of it. And consequently, we want to be delivered from the enemies while we continue to worship the enemy's gods. And we can't figure out what's wrong. Do you see the problem? This is what you're going to see in the book of Judges. And this is a pattern. It's, this is the overview of... This happens every single chapter in the book of Judges. So, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the people, the individual, the physical enemies who plundered them, whether it's Ammonites or Moabites or the Edomites or the, uh, the Philistines. God would rise up, raise up someone, fill them with his spirit, and that person, that political military leader... Judges doesn't mean someone who sits behind a bench with a gavel. In this case, it means a political military leader. And they, they rise up and, and they, they, they take care of the physical enemies. But, but keep, keep looking. Verse 17. Yet they didn't listen to their judges, for they hoard after other gods and bowed down to them. Okay, just, I know it's families sit together. And that's an awkward verse if families sit together. So parents who are thinking, "What am I supposed to say to my kid, who is, what does that mean?" It means, I'm, let me just pretty it up. It means they were unfaithful to the God they were in a covenant relationship with, and that's the prettiest I can make it, but that's not what it means. I mean, it is what it means, but that's what you explain to your children. Now there's a reason the Holy Spirit inspired the author to use that punch you in the mouth word. You're supposed to feel like you just got punched in the mouth. They whored after other gods. As they cried out to God, Yahweh, for deliverance, they continued to worship other gods. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked and who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord and they did not do so the solution that you see over and over that they want it's what they long for they just want the philistines to be put down they just want the edomites to be put down and here's what i see in the body of christ we just want the culture to leave us alone and let us worship freely yeah but worship freely who's god's you see the problem? The church is always whining and complaining, and rightfully so, about those people. And who are those people? The people that do not worship the Lord Jesus Christ and think you're a lunatic for doing so. And 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 they have all these practices, and they want you to embrace those practices, and they want you to tell them. They want you to tell them that those practices are good and not bad, and, and you're like, "Well, I can't do that." And, and they, they, seem to, they seem to be rising in number, and the church seems to be shrinking in number, and, and they have iron chariots, and, and they have control of the media and they have you see, you see the parallels. They have all the power, and you don't, and the church doesn't, and we want God to just smote the enemy and rise up. A leader or leaders who can make this nation. I'm not even going to say it. (laughs) Do you see where we're going here? Do Do you see the parallels? Meanwhile, the church is completely unaware of the fact they're still worshiping the cultural idols that everyone else who doesn't know Jesus is worshiping. That's the problem. The problem is not those people out there with chariots and control of the media and control of this and all the power, the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites and all the rest of the people who are ites. The problem is right there. They did not listen to the judges for they hoard after other gods. I am making a case to you and to myself that repentance needs to start with the house of God and not the culture. I'm not saying the culture's right. I'm not saying that. And if you say that I'm saying that, I will fight you. (laughs) Verbally, intellectually, I'm not saying that. Our culture's insane. What I'm saying is, we have to grow up and stop living like the Israelites in 1400 BC that want political deliverance without repentance. If you want political deliverance without repentance, you will get a short-term solution and you, your children will be worse off than you are because the church will be more anemic in the next generation than it is right now. So... That's, that's what happens. So whenever the Lord raises up these judges for them, the Lord is with the judge. God, in his mercy, delivers them. Look at this. And he saved them from the hand of the enemies all the days of that judge. Why? God gives the, he gives us the motive. For the Lord was moved to pity for their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. God actually cares about these people who are worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. He's like, he's groaning. He's like, oh, my heart, God's heart hurts for his people when they're oppressed by their enemies, even when it's because of their own sin. I I don't want you to miss that. God, why does he deliver them? Why does he even bother to send people like uh, Ehud and and Deborah and Barak and, and, and Gideon? Why does he even bother to deliver them if they won't repent? Because he has pity for them. How many of you have told your kid, don't touch the stove? It's hot. And then they touch the stove. How many of you, please don't answer if this is true. It's a rhetorical question. Only a father would say this, and a wicked father. I told you not to touch it, so don't come crying to me. There's a third degree burn on the toddler's hand. No, what what do you do? You pick up the kid, and you feel their pain, even though their pain is a direct result of the rebellion. That's God. He cares for those who are continuing to worship in idols. He's going to give them over he's going to give us over to our sin. He's going to do it, and he's also going to feel bad as we go that direction. So he's not unmerciful, he's merciful, and he rises up these deliverers. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted them and oppressed them. But there's that stupid conjunction again in verse nineteen. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were, what? More corrupt. More corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Now, two things we're going to see as we go through the book of Judges. The people, the people in the book of Judges, the culture is going to get worse So Judges covers 1400 B.C. all the way to about 1000 B.C. covers about 400 years. Longer than our nation. And you're going to see that people become collectively more insane. Just like the United States of America. We lost our innocence in the 60s. We lost our minds somewhere between 68 and today. And I'm going to just bet that in 20 years, unless there is widespread repentance of the church and supernatural revival, I'm just going to go out on a hunch and a limb and say, it's going to be worse 20 years from now than it is right now. Why? Because I'm a student of history. And the pattern that you see in the book of Judges is the way it works then is the way it works now is the way it's going to work as long as people turn away from God. That's how it works. That's how it works. So the people get worse, right? People get worse. Guess what else happens in the book of Judges? The judges get worse. The beginning of the book of judges, they're fairly fairly upright human beings. They're people that you'd say, I want my son, I want my daughter to be like them. But by the end of the book of judges, not so much. You have over-sexualized strongman thugs who are leading the nation. Do I need to make parallels? I know I'm taking a risk right now, but I do not care. I have to speak with some prophetic authority and I don't care if you applaud and it makes you feel good. I'm telling you right now, the way we are is because of the sin of the church. And as long as we are looking for temporary fixes and we do not address our own idolatry, The culture will get worse, the church will get worse, and the leaders who deliver us will get worse. There is no hope, no hope, apart from a king. And I don't mean a political military monarch. So if those are the solutions which are temporary and don't work, what is the solution? In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I want you to understand the fundamental philosophical problem. So if you want to, you want to strip away what goes on in the hearts of people that think the way they think, including people that call themselves Christians and may in fact love Jesus. I'm not saying they don't. There's been a fundamental shift in how we view reality. When there is a king, the king makes a declaration and it is so. But in those days, Israel had no king, so there were no declarations. Well, no, that's not true. They did have a king. Who was their king? Their king was Yahweh. You you see this in the book of 1 Kings where it says that, or no, Samuel. Samuel says, the people rose up and says, we want a king. And Samuel's mad. Samuel's upset because he's like, he goes to God and he says, they're turning from you. They want a king like the rest of their neighbors. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king of their hearts and king of their nation. So what does he do? He gives them what they want. He gives them Saul. He gives them David. He gives them Solomon. He fixes nothing. Okay, the point is that that when you don't have a king, you're your own king. You're your own monarch. And so you are the determiner of what is right and what is wrong. And so that little phrase, postmodernism, it's... It's the spirit of the age. It's where we're at today. Postmodernism says that there's no real truth, that there's no real truth. It says that knowledge is always made or invented and not discovered. It's not discovered because knowledge is, is made by people. A person cannot know something for sure. All ideas and facts are believed instead of known. Now, why does that matter? Okay, you ready? you do you. Have you ever heard that? What's that mean? It means, listen, you do you, I'll do me. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. There is nothing transcendent. There is nothing out there. There's nothing absolute. There is no God in the heavens. There is no God in the skies. There is no king in the universe who has created me in his image. Therefore, because I am a product of time, matter, and chance, I am simply more, nothing more than an evolved protoplasmic structure. There is no real right or wrong. Right or wrong is a social construct. Truth is a social construct. What rules the day is social Darwinism. The strongest survive, the fittest survive, and whoever is in power, whichever political party, whichever people group, whichever group of people, they're the ones who determine what is true, I mean, there is no real truth, but they're the ones who determine what we think is true, and basically they oppress the masses. And that's what postmodernism teaches. So what's the solution when the problem is the people in power who define truth? Flip it. Revolution. Marxism. I I started with Simon and Garfunkel. I got to close with the who, right? (laughs) Dating myself. By the way, both of those groups are before my time, really dating myself. I tip my hat' this is Roger Daltruth who I tip my hat to the new constitution. I tip my hat to the new revolution, and I pray we don 't get fooled again. So that goes on and on and on let 's talk about revolution, about societal upheaval change, and in that context, the problem is always those people who who define truth. So what we need to do is we need to get rid of the people in power and we need to put our people in power. So the problem is always the enemies. It's always the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, the bourgeois, the proletariat, the whites, the Democrats, the Republicans. See, you, see, you see the solution? The solution is always just new constitution, new political party, new group of leaders and Roger Daltrey at the end of that song, there's an awesome guitar solo, by the way, and a drum solo. And then there's one line at the end, the old boss or the new boss is the same as the old boss. Nothing changes. Why? Why? Because when there's no absolute truth and there's no absolute ruler and there's no king in the heavens above that created us here and now, it doesn't matter who's in charge. We just make up the rules. I was talking with a brother a couple weeks ago. He says, you ready to preach judges? I said, no, but I will be. He goes, that's one of the most depressing books in the Bible. And I said, I know, and that's why I'm preaching it. Why? Why? because I want to utterly demoralize and discourage every single one of you so that you will despair of all hope in anything other than the one who is the true king. This fall, we're going to study the book of Mark and the coming of the one true king who said, I came to bring a kingdom. When that king was arrested, he stood before a governor, Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. I want you to understand what Pilate is not asking. Pilate is not inquiring. Do tell. When you say truth, what, what, what do you mean? No, that's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Truth is not relevant when you're the one who holds the sword. What matters is power, and what matters is might, and what matters is money. And I have all of them, and you have none of them. But here's what Pilate didn't understand, and here's what our culture doesn't understand. And I'm telling you, I don't believe our church understands this either. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the one true king. And when we bow our hearts and our heads and our knees to him, And we submit to that King as Lord of our lives and King of the universe. And we smash all competing idols in our lives. The idolatry of sex, the idolatry of money, the idolatry of comfort, the idolatry of food, the idolatry of power, the idolatry of all of those things which we run after, which we think we have to have to be whole people. And we say, Jesus, you are King. And everything that I do in my life, I will do for you from this point forward. The kingdom of God advances and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I have to say this. Every single one of you, if you're a Christian, have intellectually said, that's technically what I am as a Christian, but I fall short. And if, if that true king gave me what I deserved, he would sheathe, His sword in my heart. That's that's what justice demands. Justice demands that everyone who's rebelled, the Israelites in the book of Judges and the people that are in this room, whether or not you've come to Christ or whether or not you've not come to Christ, if all we got was justice, we would all receive condemnation. Not just being given over to our physical enemies, but given over to our sins. And that giving over to our sins leads to separation with God, from God eternally. But right there, that man who said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I want you to hear what his voice said. All of you who are weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. His voice said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This king of kings, this Lord of lords, who is going to return riding a horse With a sword coming out of his mouth, when he came the first time, he came not to bear judgment against sinners, but to receive judgment for sinners. So, we're gonna celebrate communion today, and we're gonna thank that king for receiving what we should have received and for giving us what we don't deserve, and that is his righteousness, and that is a pardon. And that is forgiveness. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit and an inheritance in him. So take the juice, take the bread, and spend a moment giving thanks for the King of kings and the Lord of lords who became man that he might take your sin to the cross.